way through the letter to Ephesians, and we're up to the final few verses in chapter 6. So today we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through to the end uh, end of the chapter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. Tychorus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters with love and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Have you ever looked at other Christians and you think, how come they've got it all together? Have you ever done that? And you think, is it just me that struggles in my Christian life, but all these other people, they just seem to just float through life. Maybe you look at celebrity Christians, you know, these high-profile people, and you go, how come they just seem to have it all sorted out? They know exactly what's going on, and they just seem to, to breeze through life from your perspective. And don't get me started on Facebook Christians. You look at those people and you think, boy, oh boy, I could never measure up to my friends and followers on Facebook because they've got it all sorted. Please confess to me, there are times when those thoughts have gone through your mind. Hmm? That you think it's just yourself that struggle through life. Now today is, as I've said, it's our, it's our last week in Ephesians. This is our eighth uh, week. I hope that you've been uh, blessed and I, I guess have a greater appreciation of what it is that God is saying through this letter from Paul. Now I, I just want to, once again, two weeks ago I, I made this um, point and I just want to make it again, is that 
when we read, well, when we read any any point of any part of, of scripture, we've always got to place it within its intent and within the, the context of which it was written, the culture and context. And for this we realise that Ephesians was written by Paul while he was imprisoned, written to the church at Ephesus, but to be circulated wider around that, that region. And like many of Paul's letters, uh, like Colossians, which has got a very similar feel to uh, Ephesians, Galatians, etc., he spends the first part of the, um, of the letter, in this case for Ephesians, six chapters the first three chapters how neat is that three chapters he focuses on what christ has done he 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 paints this great big picture and i encourage you um to read ephesians 1 to 3 again it just paints this wonderful picture that we have every spiritual blessing in christ we have forgiveness we have freedom we have life we have hope we have love and he and he paints this as an encouragement and a reminder to the Christians in that day as well as to the Christians today. So chapters 1 to 3, what Christ has done. And then chapters 4 to 6, which is what we've been in the last few weeks, how we live as Christians. The reality is that we are flawed. I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, but your Facebook friends are also flawed. Celebrity Christians are also flawed. The people who you compare yourself to are also broken people who may have just been um, redeemed by Christ but still live in a flawed world in a broken body. And so in chapters 4 to 6, what Paul is talking about, in the light of the, the chapters 1 to 3, the big picture and the blessings we have in Christ, the realisation that the Christian life is hard and sin is present. And as I, I, I mentioned to you there two weeks ago, in some ways it's, it's good to recap from the very beginning of uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes this. Now bearing in mind, he's just given us this big, wonderful picture of, of God and what Christ has done. Launching into chapter 4, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is then how you live. And I, I made this point two weeks ago and I said, This is why it's important to read uh, Scripture in context because if you take away chapters 1 to 3 and you just focus on 4 to 6, it can very easily look like that we have to do stuff in order to earn salvation it's couldn't be further from the truth we need to see the whole context okay so paul urges that although we have every spiritual blessing in christ it has to be lived out in a fallen world now throughout four to six and over the last few weeks we've been looking at paul's teaching on unity holiness moving from unholiness to holiness darkness to light foolishness to wise and and it was so good to have Steve last week preach on husbands and wives and, and uh, uh, husband and wives and parents and, and children and, and masters and slaves. It's good that I can give him something like that and he can sort that out for us. And, um, but all of this is, shows us how we should be living. Then he comes to the very final part of this letter 
chapter 6 verse 10 and he gives us a massive clue as to the type of life that that we face as followers of Jesus um it's it's so exciting when we hear people who put up their hand and say you know I want to follow Jesus and I'm going to go through the waters of baptism and uh, we've, we're excited about the, the number of people who are going to be doing this over the next few weeks. I hope these people aren't under the illusion that once I get baptised, everything will turn out wonderful. Everything will be just fine and dandy. Uh, the reality is, and, and Paul makes this quite clear in, in, in chapter 6, that once we align ourselves to Jesus Christ, we are entering a battle. We're entering a battle because there are uh, forces around us that don't want us to follow Jesus. Let's make that, that quite clear. We are in a fight. We are in a fight. And so today I'm going to be looking at three aspects that Paul talks about in this chapter that I've, I've just read. The first one is the fight, the second one are the weapons, and the third is the outlook. So let's launch into this. Um, we're going to look at, at the fight, starting at verse 10. One reason why life is tough is that we are at war with the devil and his forces. The devil is, is real. And too often, we think of the Christian life as, if I just do the right things, if I just, you know, all that Paul talked about in chapters 4 and 5 and the first part of 6, if I just get all of them sorted out, if I just, you know, um, submit to, to, to one another, if I treat people nicely, if I seek to live in the light and not in the darkness, everything will turn out okay and I will live a relatively comfortable life. For anybody who's been a Christian longer than five minutes, you know that that's not true, isn't it? We are in a fight. And it's, it's not necessarily a, a military fight, although, can I say, and, and, and we, we talked today and Paul prayed about the military, uh, the, the action that has taken place around our world. I, I am sure that the devil and his, his entourage are well and truly involved in all of that. So it's not necessarily a military fight, or it could be. It's not necessarily a political fight. And can I say that I, I am sure that the, the devil and his, his workers are seeking to, to create maximum carnage in our, in our politics as well. Not necessarily a physical fight, although that could be an outcome as well. Although these may manifest from time to time, it is certainly a spiritual battle that we are in. Make no mistake about that. So let's go back to these first three verses that I read and let's reflect on them as Paul writes. He says, finally, as he's wrapping up this whole letter, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul doesn't mince his words here. He, he says this is the reality and this is what it is. The question is, do we see this? I think too often... And if I was to survey, I would say that virtually all of us would say, yes, we agree with that. Well, it's in the Word. We've got to agree with that. But do you agree that sometimes we just go through life and we don't actually see the battle playing out in front of us? 
For example, we, we, could have, we could have conflict with another person and we end up seeing that other person, particularly a brother or a sister in Christ, we see them as the enemy and we think that they're the ones that we're battling when really the, the real enemy is the unseen one who can cause carnage within our relationship and too often we spend all of our effort attacking that enemy instead of realising that there's another enemy. Do, do you agree? If we take Paul's words seriously, this spiritual war is more serious than a military one. In many respects, it's more serious than what's going on in, in, in Israel. And I don't want to make light of what's going on over there, but, but this, this is something that's happening all around the world, not just in certain places around the world. And we need to be always ready. Now, if, if, if I were a soldier in the Australian army, I'd probably look something like this. I would have to be required to wear certain clothing, have certain arms, have certain gear, and have a certain battle readiness at all time. As soon as you enter a battlefield, you, now I've never been in the forces, so I can't explain, but I imagine always ready, always uh, prepared. Now, the problem is, as Christians, we are in a similar battle. And I think too often we become quite casual about it. We can't see the enemy, so therefore, why do I need to be prepared? In the same way, I can imagine Australian soldiers working in a battlefield don't always see, and I'm sure most of the time they don't see the enemy. What would happen if they go, well, if I can't see the enemy, then I'm not going to worry about the enemy. Can you see the trouble with all of that? It's foolish to be unprepared. So how do we fight this enemy? How do we prepare ourselves? How do we get geared up, geared up for this battle? Now, there's plenty of people who say, well, you know, I've got the answer to all of that. You know, with this, you know, we do exorcism or we claim, name the name of Jesus or we've got this particular words to use or this particular thing to do. And I'm not saying any of those are wrong, but too often we focus on particular formulas to say or do, which I think, as we reflect on this passage, will give us a greater understanding of what Paul is actually saying. So let's move from the fight to the weapons. What are the weapons we need? As we, we move into verse 13, Paul sets this up. He says, Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, what do you notice of what he's saying here? We're not told to go out and seek the enemy and go out and attack him. We are in a, if you, if you use a military term, we are in a defensive position, are we not? We're going to stand. Okay, we're going to hold our ground. In, in uh, chapter 5, the, the previous chapter, Paul urges us to walk in faith. So he uses a symbolism of when, we, when we're in faith, we walk. But in this particular case, he says, stand, hold your ground. Now, the key in all of this is by which do we stand? We do not stand in our own strength. If we go back to... Uh, verse 10 it says finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power whose mighty power 
God's mighty power. Can we do this in our own strength? By no means. We need to rely on his uh, strength. And it's interesting if we go right back to chapter 1, when we talk about the, the mighty power of God, it says it's the, the power that is within us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that is in you and the power that is in me because of Christ. It's not our power. Don't be mistaken. Don't be misled. It's not our power. It's the Christ's power. And if we are in Christ, then that power is already in us. And too often we, we read this passage in like a, a moralistic way. You know, do this, do it's it's not about us. It's not about us. So let's look at in more detail at these particular weapons or the armor that we put on. The first one. The first one is stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, what truth are we talking about? Does that mean I've got to be truthful or whatever? Well, there's a certain aspect of that. But we're talking about the truth of God's word, isn't it? We're, we're talking about how true God is. What we know about God, who we are in Christ. And, and that truth is our defense. So if, if you're being lied to by the devil, and let, let me tell you right now up front that one of Satan's greatest uh, tactics is to plant thoughts within our minds that would take us off Jesus. We get discouraging thoughts, um, attitudes, whatever. Now, if that is the case, if you are being spiritually attacked in, in this way, what is the truth here? Well, the truth is that Jesus has already won the battle. So the truth is that Satan is already defeated. Because of the cross, Satan is already defeated. There's a truth there. There's, there's, there's one that you could hold on to. God's power is, is greater than Satan's power. There's, a, there's another truth that we could hold on to. And there are truths that we need to have at the forefront of our minds, like battle gear, having on the truth of God and his, and his situation the belt of truth buckle around our waist. Let me sort of say this in a visual sort of way. If we don't have the belt of truth, our pants will fall down. And that's pretty embarrassing because you need to keep your pants up, okay? So this kind of holds things together. The truth of who God is holds us together. The second one, with the breast place of righteousness in place. Now, the breastplate protects what part of our body? Our, our heart. Now, that's a very sensitive part. Now, we're not talking necessarily about the, the organ that pumps blood around our body, but the, the center of our being, where we, where we feel, where our emotions are. Now, the other thing too is, with this breastplate of righteousness, is that our righteousness? No. Because I tell you what, if, if you were to see the breastplate of my righteousness, it wouldn't be very strong, okay? We need a strong breastplate that is able to protect our hearts and it's not our righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? 
Jesus' righteousness is what we need to put on as our breastplate. It's not our moral achievements. It's what Christ has done for us. He's made us righteous through his act. And so often the enemy attacks our heart. If you have had these thoughts, and sometimes you don't know where these thoughts come from, there's a thought that suddenly enters your mind and you go, you're not good enough. Now, maybe you've never had that, but you ever had that? You're not good enough. You don't, you don't deserve heaven. Christ really wouldn't love you. you. You're a dirty sinner. Ever had those sort of thoughts? Hmm? And this is the thing with Satan's lies. It's always mixed with a little bit of truth, a little bit of truth, and a whole lot of lying equals a lie. Did you know that? A little bit of truth, a bit of lies equals a lie. Because the fact is we are sinners, but that's not the end of the story. We are a sinner that's saved by grace, and it's his righteousness which has made us to be who we are and are continuing to make us. And so the righteousness of Christ is our breastplate. Our defense, it's not about my goodness, but it's about the righteousness of Christ. The third one, and with feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace. Wherever we go, I don't know whether you're aware of this, we take the gospel of peace with us. And, and, and this is one of the great blessings, that the, the, the gospel of reconciliation between God and ourselves and each other is the peace. We have that as part of our armour. Next, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan, as I've already mentioned, regularly shoots arrows. Arrows of condemnation, arrows of accusation, arrows of doubt, arrows of discouragement. We get them from time to time and probably more often than we'd like to, 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 to realise. But we can defend these arrows through faith. By faith, I am reminded that Jesus has provided grace, forgiveness and restoration. And so by faith, I take that on board. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. And even though I have all of these arrows flying at me, I'll stand realising what he has done for me by faith. Flaming arrows don't have to burn or stick. We can deflect them through faith next take the helmet of salvation what is a helmet what what does that protect our minds our minds this is our our thinking this may our minds be transformed and reminded that we are saved by grace and work so it's not in our heart and our feelings but it's also how we think and so what we're basically saying is that through our, our helmet of salvation we think on these things of what Christ has done for us as a strong defence. Next, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, bearing in mind, all of the other uh, pieces of armour and weapon that we, that we had are all defence. This is the, really the, the only uh, uh, attack weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All others are for defence. Now, have you ever noticed that too often what we do is we, we use the sword of the Spirit to attack one another, 
too often, I think. And we, we use it, I think, sometimes in the wrong way. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now, think of, I think one of the great examples of all of this is think of Jesus and his 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days in the wilderness, Satan was tempting him over and over and over again. What was Jesus' response to those temptations? What was his words? He would say, it is written. So his defense and ultimately attack again was to refer to the word of God. It is written. The more we know and apply God's word, the more we are prepared. And and I look back on times when I've been uh, discouraged, I've been uh, entertained, accusing thoughts and everything, And I look back and I go, how can I ever entertain those thoughts when I know that they are not right? When I line them up to the word of God, they just don't sit, do they? So I can use the the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to, to attack back and lay those claims. So here are the weapons. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, of the Spirit. Now, these are not necessarily things that we've got to physically pick up, but we are aware of as part of the blessing that we have as followers of Jesus. His truth, His righteousness, His peace, our faith in Him, and salvation through grace and His Word. How good's that? He's thought of really everything. So, should it look like this there it is well not necessarily like that and i'd hate you to get dressed up like that tomorrow and think that you're going to take battle against the the enemy but there's just a visual for you the key and i think this is most important this is less this what paul's talking about here is less about doing or getting but more about holding on to what we already have because of jesus If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have these items. You already have them. Do you agree that this is a message of hope in the face of failure? The battle has already been won. We've been given the armour. We've been given all the resources that we need. And yet too often we read this passage and we we, we feel like we've got to get more determined and we've got to be more self-disciplined and we've got to read more books and we've got to wake up earlier and put on the armour and then we've got to struggle with the guilt because we haven't put on the armour enough and those flaming arrows are still coming. And then, you know what I think happens is Satan in the midst of us trying to battle the battle in our own strength is going, I'm going to put in another little accusation and say, you're not very good at fighting battles, are you? I go, no, I'm not. Do you see how, how this, this works? It's not about us. It's not about how good we are at these things. Satan so often shoots an arrow of condemnation, shame or guilt, and we've played right into his hands. Satan hates the gospel. You know why he hates it? Well, he hates it for a number of reasons. I think he hates the gospel because it's about forgiveness and it's about grace. It empties his accusations of all of his power 
C.S. Lewis, you know, the great writer, creative writer C.S. Lewis, in 1941, this is at the height of the Second World War, wrote one of his most powerful books. It was called The Screwtape Letters. Now, who's read The Screwtape Letters? It's just this wonderful little quirky book of where C.S. Lewis talks about this senior demon coaching a junior demon about the best ways to discourage Christians. And that's what the, it's like a diary excerpt. And it's so witty because it talks about the ploys and the, the accusations and the way they go about their business. And I remember reading it as a younger person, get quite immersed in the whole thing. But it's interesting at the very, very beginning, at the preface of this book, C.S. Lewis uh, writes this in the preface and he says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Do you agree? Two errors. We either disbelieve in Satan or we have an unhealthy interest in him. And Satan can use both errors. Now, let's just imagine, let's just imagine I'm walking along a footpath, minding my own business, and I walk past this fence and there's a really aggressive dog on the other side of that fence and as I walk past, you know, that aggressive dog, right? And I'm just walking past, minding my own business. Now, I've got three options. I've got three options as I'm walking down this footpath past this fence about my response. The first is I can, I can deny the existence of that dog. That's an option. Deny the existence. So therefore, if I'm walking down here, and even though it's barking and carrying on, I could deny its existence and go, there's no dog here. So there's no reason why I can't jump this fence, is there? Because there's, there's no dog here. How do, how do you think that would work out for me? Not, not very well. So we can deny the existence of the dog. The other option is, is if I'm walking down this footpath, past this fence, I can have this, this unhealthy interest in this dog. I can stand. I can, I can growl back at that dog, can't I? I can point at it. I can stare at it. I can tell it off. I can do this. I can do... Now, is that helpful? It, it just gets you into an unnecessary fight and probably makes you late for wherever you're going. The other option is I can realise that there is a dangerous dog on the other side of the fence. I need to recognise boundaries here, don't I? I need to trust the fence and realise it's probably not helpful for me to jump the fence. So I'm going to keep going in the direction I need to go. Third option. Which do you think is the best option? Oh, across the road. <laughs> I didn't have that as an option, no. But you know where I'm going with all of this, don't you? And, and here's the interesting thing. In this passage, Paul acknowledges the reality of the enemy, but note, he gives it no ongoing attention. And, and Paul has written so many letters and from time to time he will reference the devil and his, and his forces 
But he doesn't go on and on and on. He doesn't have this, we would say in C.S. Lewis's language, an unhealthy interest in them. Does that make sense? We've got to put that into perspective. And I think too often, and I even look back in my early days and sort of think, you know, as a young Christian, you're on a crusade for Christ. And so you've got to seek out the enemy and you've got to tackle them head on and you've got to pray over this and do this and do that. And, and you know, the problem with all of that is you're spending a lot of energy doing that and you can get pretty discouraged and a bit battle torn in the process. When I don't think if we read the Bible, what our primary calling is is not to fight the devil that's not our primary calling remember he says to stand stand and defend because the thing about it is is satan's already defeated it was the job of jesus christ to defeat satan and he did a very good job of it thank you very much leave that with him leave that with him so when Paul talks about this in chapter 6, in many ways this army is this armor is is quite ordinary. We talk about it every day. We talk about truth, we talk about righteousness, we talk about salvation, we talk about peace. It's it's part of our vernacular. It's who we are. It's what we own. The only power the devil has over us is when we believe his lies. Do you want me to say that again? The only power the devil has over us is when we believe his lies. And one of the great parts of all of this is if, if we can recognize the lies of Satan, we're so much further ahead in all of this. So it's less about focusing on the devil and more about keeping our eyes on Jesus and what he has done. And as I've said, our job is not to defeat Satan. He already has been defeated. What is this? And that moves us now into my next point, which is the outlook. The outlook. And we see this from verse 18 onwards. Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So here's Paul quickly moves on from putting on the armor of God to sort of saying the most important thing really, pray, pray. What does prayer do? Prayer indicates our need of God, our dependence upon him. Pray, and the other thing we see here is it seems for Paul, his focus is not so much attacking the enemy, but making the mystery of the gospel known to those around about him if we're going to do anything if we're walking along that that footpath instead of focusing here we're going to be looking for opportunity to be able to share the mystery of the gospel now remember here that paul is in prison paul does he focus much on his physical enemies? Does he talk much about you know, these, these nasty jailers and I've been wrongly imprisoned and if only I could get... He doesn't focus on physical enemies. He briefly focuses on spiritual enemy. But Paul places everything in God's hands. Paul is able to see beyond his circumstances. Remember, he's in chains, knowing that God is bigger and he doesn't ignore the reality but opening eyes to God's bigger picture. 
And the bigger picture is where the victory is already won. Already won. In his final words, as he wraps up this whole letter, he says this in verse 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. What remains? And what do you talk about here? Peace, love and faith. So the reality is, people, that we are in a battle. There are forces that don't want us to follow Jesus. But we know that his power is limited. Christ's power is unlimited. Christ's power is manifest within us and we just need to trust in him in all times. So I just want to I just want to pause and pray for a moment, encourage you just to reflect on these words that we've talked about. And we just want to come before the Lord and say, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your mighty love, your mighty power, your grace and your forgiveness, which is complete and sufficient. We also recognize, Heavenly Father, the reality of the devil and his forces. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be wise, that we would be ready and alert. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the ability to be able to uh, be aware of these flaming arrows that will come to us from time to time. Arrows of accusation and condemnation. Accusations of lies, either through other people, through our thoughts, and in our reflections. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truth that we live in, for your truth, who you are, what you have done, we thank you for the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ which would protect our heart. It's not about us, it's about what you have done for us. We thank you for your peace, the peace of the gospel which we carry with us wherever we go. We thank you that through faith we have a shield by which we can deflect the arrows from the evil one. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the helmet of salvation, that we are saved by grace through faith. And may we reflect on that and may it renew our minds. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the word of God, which is sharp, which is able to take down any of Satan's lies. May we use it carefully and deliberately as we seek to continue to stand as your people. As we go from here, Heavenly Father, strengthen us. Help us to be aware, to discern and see, and to be ready to take defensive action, to stand, but also 
to be able to use your word by your spirit where necessary. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.